Welcome, welcome all of you, all of our campuses, Parkview, welcome all, Homer, Lock, uh, Homer at New Lenox, and, at New Lenox, and uh, man, we're, we're really online is what I'm thinking. I, I just, all of you that are watching, we're really glad you're here. Um, just finished a series being real, uh, This Is Us. I like to try to deal with reality, um, and so the whole idea of, of what's going on around here is uh, we're going to do Who Needs God, okay? Starting this series today, and we're just going to be real about God too, okay? Been real in January, going to be real in February, okay? That will go back to being fake, you know, maybe like in April or, Mar- or May or something, I don't know. But right now, we're just going to be real. Daryl Strawberry, he was real, wasn't he? Wasn't that awesome? Daryl, if you're watching, man, that was, that was fantastic. Thank you so much for doing that. Gave us the opportunity, my wife and I, the opportunity to go watch our granddaughter, two-year-old granddaughter, for her parents to get away for the very first time by themselves and go on a baby moon. Have you heard of a baby moon? Think it's something millennials just made up, you guys. <laughs> Because we never got a baby moon. But the, but, but the whole idea is like they got a two-year-old, Olivia, and, and they wanted to go get away by themselves to have a little romantic time before the next one is born, which is the end of May, early June. So, hey, we obliged, man. I'm, I'm like, anything I can do to encourage you to have more kids, I am there. Plus, I don't mind hanging out with my granddaughter. She's awfully fun, and I gave her a bunch of ice cream, and we just spoiled her and had so much fun. It was really, really great, okay? Um, Listen, here's the deal. Do I have a Super Bowl prediction? I know that's the reason that you're really here, okay? (laughs) I, I, I know, I, you know, like, oh, preach the Bible, whatever. Okay, yeah, no, Super Bowl. Here, here's the deal. I'm not going to call it, okay? I called Patriots last year, and you didn't believe me until the last 30 seconds. Am I right? Okay. Um, I'm not calling it this year. I'm just going to tell you that according to the Bible, that, well, one put, church put it on their sign. I thought it was pretty good. Bible verses about eagles, 33. Bible verses about patriots, zero. So, uh, I, you know, you got to decide. I, I wouldn't bet against Brady, but you got to decide. Let's do real talk about God. Forget about everything else that's going on. I can tell you that God loves you more than you can possibly imagine, but I'm not going to stand up here and give you platitudes. I guess that's what I mean by this. You know, you just need to let go and let God. Well, yeah, uh, God has, loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Sure, but it might not be the one you thought, and, and you might not always like it. And God's wonderful plan for my life was to live in the number one state people are moving out of for the last 28 years, okay? So think about that. I believe that stuff. I just think that sometimes it needs to be explained, and sometimes we don't see it as we're going through it. And we need to deal with the reality that life is not easy, even with God. Bumper sticker religion just doesn't work very well. If I'm having a bad day, a honk if you love Jesus sticker doesn't do me any good. That doesn't make me feel better. And even if I'm not having a bad day, I'm having a real Jesus-y kind of a day, and I decide to honk because I love Jesus, you're a Chicago driver. So you're going to forget that you have a sticker or forget that you love Jesus altogether and wave at me with one finger when you wave back. I understand this, okay? So let's just forget about that stuff for a while and think about reality theology. Let's do reality theology, okay? Mortimer Adler... One of the great philosophers of the 20th century said the question, who needs God, is the most important question a person could ask because more consequences flow from the way you answer this question than any other question in life. That is so absolutely true. Who is God is the most important question you will ever 
ask. And this is a huge big deal because Americans are giving up on God like never before. Matter of fact, Generation Z, which would be the young people, 99, born in 99 or younger, twice as likely to reject Christianity as their parents' generation. Why? I think there are three main reasons. I'll talk you through these and then explain some stuff along the way. The first one, they are intellectual reasons, okay? Intellectual reasons. Then there are emotional reasons. Then there are religious reasons, okay? I I think this is how the whole thing goes, those three reasons. And the intellectual reasons are mostly science, Because they've been taught that the Bible and science can't go together, which totally depends on an interpretation of the Bible and totally depends on an interpretation of science. Hear me out on this, please. Many scientists study both of those things, science and the Bible, and they come up believing that there's no way they could believe in God. But many scientists study both of those things and believe that they can. They can reconcile science and God because it's it's an interpretation. I've studied this issue a lot, and I think the biggest problem with the intellectual issue is that Christians like me have interpreted the Bible. And we have interpreted the Bible incorrectly. I was very opinionated on this issue for a while, preached some sermon series on it, etc., until a friend who who was very much smarter than me asked me if, he said, Tim, listen, I'm a scientist, but I got, and I, I, I believe in God, but do I have to believe in young earth creationism to be a Christian? And if you don't know what that means, it's great, okay? But, 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 but. It's, a, it's, it's one of the three ways that you could be a Christian and believe in the Bible. Christianity Today did a survey, and they said, how many of you believe, what, what do you believe about Genesis? What do you believe about it? And a third of American Christians believe that God started the bang, and the, and the rest was evolution. God used evolution. A third of them believe in an old earth age theory, and a third of them believe in a young earth age theory. And at the time, I was studying young earth age theory, and I, I, I thought, this was really fascinating. There's some great stuff here. I mean, he had to stop me and he had to go, look, I just need to understand, if I'm going to be part of this church, if I'm going to believe in God, do I have to believe that? And I had to stop and ask myself that question. Would God ever want one of his lost children not to be able to come home because of someone's interpretation of something that happened a long time ago and can't really be answered? Is someone going to be standing at the pearly gates saying, answer me these questions, three? No. You're in Christ or you're not in Christ. That was Monty Python. This is going to be different. And that lunch changed my thinking. And it reminded me of Galileo and the theory of the earth revolving around the sun. And the theory of of how how hard that was for him back in the day. Because everybody thought the sun revolved around the earth. Remember this, right? 1633, the church condemned Galileo for spreading heresy and made him recant because he started studying the stars and thought, oh, I I think the sun is the middle of the solar system. And the church said, oh, well, we know you're really smart, Galileo, and we know 400 years from now nobody's going to remember us. They're only going to remember you, and we know you probably know more than we do. But we are the church, and we interpret the Bible, and we believe that the Bible says that the earth is the center of things and the sun revolves around it. So it has to be our way. It's our way or the hell, highway to hell way, okay? right? You decide which one it's going to be. Thunderbolts and lightning, very, very frightening me. Hello, hello. 
I just wanted that to be stuck in your head for the rest of the day. That's what they're talking about. <laughs> Galileo, thunderbolts and lightning. Uh-oh, you can't believe in this. And, and as I was thinking about this, it, it dawned on me that even though we now understand the solar system and how it works, most of the problems in the church happen when the church thinks that things revolve around us. Don't say amen, just tweet that, okay? Most of the problems that happen on behalf of God are because the church thinks everything revolves around us. Why did they believe that, Tim? Well, the Bible says the sunrise and sunset, right? The Lord speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, right? Exactly. I mean, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. You ever heard that phrase? What that, that was a phrase Christians used to use a lot, that throw, throw it around a lot. And the problem was what it really meant is this is what I think the Bible says, and I believe it, and I don't really care what you think. Right? Which is a horrible way to relate to people who don't agree with you about the Bible. And really becomes a problem when our biblical interpretation turns out to be wrong. So Copernicus comes along. And he says, hey, you guys, Galileo was right. The sun's in the middle. The earth is going around it and revolving on its axis. And eventually Newton came and proved it mathematically without a shadow of a doubt that the sun's the middle and the earth is going around it. So, uh uh-oh, then what do we do? The church was stuck either admitting they were wrong, which narrow-minded people never do, or to just hang on to their interpretation of Scripture, which is what they did. And it caused a lot of people to have intellectual doubt in God for no reason. Well, was the Bible wrong, or, or did they miss something? No, no, it says from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets. But you tell me, 400 years later, do we not still use that figure of speech? Hey, Siri, what time does the sun rise tomorrow? Hey, Siri, you awake? (laughs) Hey, Siri, what time does the sun rise tomorrow? Sunrise tomorrow will be at 6.59 a.m. Can you believe that? Siri thinks the earth is the center and the sun revolves around it. Artificial intelligence. Isn't that ridiculous? No, of course not. We still use the phrase sunset, sunrise. That's what we still do. Could it be possible that the writer of the psalmist was using an expression and not trying to give scientific theory? Could you imagine how hard it would have been for God to try to explain thousands of years ago to people about how the solar system works? I mean, again, some people have legitimate doubts in God after they have studied the Bible and science. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. But most people are being Galileoed. They're being Galileoed into intellectual doubts by narrow-minded Christians. Well, PT, I'm just going to speak for you because I I know what you're thinking. Uh, Are you saying you could be a Christian and still believe in the Big Bang? I know a lot of wonderful Christian people who are a lot smarter than me who believe that God was the bang. To be clear, I don't believe this way, but there are some wonderful Christian people who believe that God was the bang. And here's what, here's what my point is. I don't think God cares if you think he used a bang or six days or 600 million years. He cares that you come home. And he didn't send his son into the world to die so that you could come home only to find one of your brothers or sisters blocking the way with their interpretation of Genesis. 
What I'm saying is that most of your intellectual issues are probably based on a human interpretation of God. All right? Emotional reasons. Let's go to that. Number two, there's some things I don't understand about God. If you were here two weeks ago, you witnessed my grief over the loss of a young Kenyan boy that we kind of unofficially adopted from afar about 10 years ago. And we, we got him out of poverty and we helped him get an education and he's become a family member. And he died a couple of weeks ago at age 24, being laid to rest this weekend, actually. As a matter of fact, they did an autopsy. It turns out he had an enlarged heart, which was no pun intended, even more heartbreaking because what that means is he either got an infection when he was living in poverty in the slums when he was little or it was a a defective uh, genetic thing of some kind that would have been easily detected and probably easily treated if he would have had health care in his early days. His mom would have had health care when he was being born. So he was really another victim of poverty even though he's been out of it for 10 years. Do you understand that? That's That's why we have to do what we have to do to help more people get out of poverty. But I had been big plans for Collins. I don't understand, and I, and I question God, and I still do, and I would never stand up here and tell you that I have all this figured out. I have emotional reasons for not d- believing in God, too. I have intellectual reasons for not believing in God, too. Here's what I know. The more I know about God, the less I think I have figured out. That, that's the truth of it. And there is much left to be done in Kenya with, through his brother and his siblings and the ongoing work we do in Africa, but I just don't get it. And I believe that I will be with Collins forever in the presence of God because Jesus defeated death and, and Collins accepted the gift of forgiveness. But the emotional questions are still there. So we lay him to rest and we ask questions. And some of you have asked if you could help. If you want to throw an extra dollar in on your way out, we're just going to take care of the funeral expenses from Parkview. We're going to take care of things. If you want to write Africa on a check or an online donation, just do it. And, and we're, going to, we're going to help do some things with his family. And we'll talk more about this along the way because I think this is one of the biggies. But I just want you to understand I have those emotional issues too. And here's what I want you to hear really understand this. Most of your intellectual issues are based on a a human interpretation of God. Most of your emotional issues are probably based on a human interpretation of God. Yours. Mine. Because I think God ought to have left Collins here on the earth. I don't think God should have let Collins have an an enlarged heart. I I don't think Collins should be gone. That's my issue, okay? Just just grab that. The third reason is religious. Most of the time when I get asked questions about God, what I find is that most of the questions really aren't about God. They're about religion, and this is different, and this is my calling. Let me just say it one more time. Most of your religious issues are probably based on a human interpretation of God. Most of the reasons that people believe in, don't believe in God are emotional, something in, that they're interpreting, they're intellectual, that somebody else has interpreted for them, they're Galileoed, or they just can't deal with religious hypocrisy. They just can't deal with the religious injustice in the world, none of which is God's fault. Do you see what I'm saying? And not only does this grieve the heart of God, it always did grieve the heart of Jesus when he walked among us. And it's the point of the book I'm working on right now called What Made Jesus Mad? Basically, when you look at the red letters in your Bible, those are the times that Jesus spoke. There are many times that they are red for a reason because he's angry and he's harsh with people. 
And I know you picture Jesus as this hippie from the 60s, you know, walking around with flowers in his hair. But there are many times that Jesus is legitimately angry at people. But who? This is so important. Who? He is never mad at people who have questions about God. He is never mad at people who are obvious sinners. He is always mad at religious people. So much of what he's talking about applies to religion today. And my book, my book is going to focus on specific behaviors that made Jesus angry and how we keep falling back into them, and that's not the purpose of this. As a matter of fact, this series is based on somebody else's thinking. Andy Stanley did this series, great religious thinker, pastor in Atlanta. And we're just going to deal with the subject of God in general, but it's all going on in my brain at the same time. That, that's what's going on. So let me take you back in history, all right? Defining moment for... For many of us, most of us, if you're older than college, was, uh, it was 9-11, right? You know where you were. You know what you were doing. I was in the office. We figured out how to get a TV signal. We're watching all this horrible stuff going on. You remember exactly what was going on at the same time. Here's what we knew as a church. I don't even remember what we had planned to, to preach on that weekend. I just knew it was out the window. I just knew, and I, don't, I plan pretty far out. I don't change things very often, but, but we were like, oh, man, everything's going to be different because people who, are, are, who have not been to church in a long time are going to come to church, and they're going to be looking for answers. And they flooded to church, and it rivaled Easter or Christmas. And it, it didn't last, but, but for a while we prayed, and we cried, and we asked God why, and we blamed, didn't we? Because the terrorists were Muslim, and we didn't understand that religion very much, the 70 virgins and all that. So we turned our attention to that religion, and it honestly kind of galvanized Christianity for a little bit because, because we had this enemy thing that we were looking at, this enemy. But I think in the back of all of our minds, if we were honest, we realized that even though this was a different religion, many, if not most, of the world's atrocities have been committed in the name of some kind of an errant view of God. And many times it was an errant view of our God. I don't think we could ever get that out of our minds. Whether it was Nazi Germany or Northern Ireland or the Crusades or whatever you want to look at. And we realized that, that people who have a messed up view of any God can do really, really bad things in the name of following that God. So what happened was whether terrorism was the cause of it or not, religion became a broad category, a broad, easy target. Immediately... After 9-11, Sam Harris wrote The End of Faith. He was a new atheist. The End of Faith. The subtitle is Religion, Terror, and the Future of Reason. And this was a critique not just of Islam, but a scathing critique of all religion. 33 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. Next year, Richard Dawkins published his book, The God Delusion. He said in the beginning of this book, if this book works as I intend, religious leaders, readers who open it will be atheists when they put it down. Okay. Not, not, just, not just Muslim, not just a certain religion, but all religions. I hope they all become atheists. Three million people read the book in 35 different languages. The next year, Christopher Hitchens published a book, God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything. Again, not, all, not, not one religion, but all religion. And these new atheists became famous. And, and, and again, whether 9-11 bred it or not, I can't really say. Whether these writings made a huge difference or not, who knows. But a significant percentage of our country started rethinking their views of all religion. 
And 16 years later, the truth is these new atheist writings to your children and to you younger generation, to many people, are as much a part of Scripture, their Scripture, as the Bible or the Koran or whatever they grew up with. They're, they're famous on social media. They, 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 they've, they've had a huge influence. But here's the problem, and here's where we have to start. And I, and I want you to hear me if you're walking this journey, okay? And all of us have people who are walking this journey. As soon as you start walking away from one side, you are walking towards the other, okay? As soon as you start walking away from God, whoever you think he is, you are walking towards atheism. It's the truth. It's the same thing with politics, okay? Just so you know, I'm with Jesus on politics. Render under Caesar the things that are Caesar, and unto God the things that are God's, and both of these things will be easier if you move to Indiana. It's in Scripture. Okay? <laughs> That's my politics. That's what Jesus said. But here's what I know. In the last election, a lot of people were uncomfortable with their party's nominee. Happens every time, but this time it was pretty intense. A lot of people decided they would just not vote at all. But it still had an effect. Because if you were a Republican and you didn't vote, it took one less Democratic vote to win. It's just basic math. You can say you don't care, but as soon as you start walking away from one side, you're walking towards the other. To be clear, I'm not believing in a certain religious system does not make you an atheist. You can believe in God and believe that everybody has it wrong so far and, and, and still be in that agnostic kind of a category. But you're still taking a step towards the other side. That's all I'm saying. And a significant percentage of people in our nation have decided that they can't vote one way or another on religion. So they are just going to disconnect from all religion. Okay, that's all they're going to, I'm just going to be done. As a matter of fact, they're the fastest growing religious group in the country. Did you know that? They have their own name now. They are called the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, like this, okay? Religious category, Christian, Muslim, Jewish, Hindu, Scientology, Packer fans, none, okay? This is what I'm talking about here. Uh, I, I might have made this one up right here, but, but, but you know, and there's, there are all kinds of others, but this is the fastest growing category among religious thinkers in the country. 23% of the population, much higher among younger people under the age of 35. It's more like 35%. Just, we're just done. We're just none. We're not going to vote one way or the other. For the most part, they aren't hostile. They just don't want anything to do with it. If I could describe it best, it's this. The nuns are done. Some of them are, never grew up in the church, but a big percentage of them are just done nuns. We find religion very unattractive. Andy Stanley said, this, this is working out great for some of you because you're, you're watching, you're listening to me right now. You're going, oh, i got a category now. I'm a nun. I, did, I didn't know what it was. I'm a nun. You can call your parents and say, Mom and Dad, don't worry about me. I'm, I'm a nun. <laughs> you probably need to spell it, okay? Many, many nuns didn't grow up with God, but the done nuns could probably recite the Lord's Prayer. They could probably say the Rosary, the Apostles' Creed, however they grew up, sing Jesus Loves Me, maybe feel guilty about eating beef on, on Fridays in the spring. But please hear me. This has not been one denomination's fault. I grew up non-denominational, and if I hadn't started thinking for myself, I might have become a nun too. What I want you to hear, if you're taking that step, is that deciding to be a nun is not just stepping away from God, it's stepping towards atheism. And that means logically that you are heading towards a belief system. 
Atheism is not simply disbelief in God. Atheism is a complex belief system that logically draws some conclusions. I know this has been deep up to here, so let me help you just take a break and watch a three-year-old with logic, okay? Um, Somehow, my grandson decided to put a bead a little, little tiny bead up his nose, okay, because that's what boys do, right? And, and it, was a, it was red, it was a Christmas bead, and, and he thinks that he brought it home from Chicago. He lives in Nashville. He thinks he brought it home from Chicago, and, and, and it's Nana's bead. That's, that's, that's what he thought. Now, just to be clear, it wasn't in his nose since Christmas. He just did it. And then his parents were like, is there really something up there? And they tried the vacuum cleaner and everything you got, you know, whatever you can do to try to do it. They couldn't get it out. They could see something up there. They took him to the ER. They got it out. I just want you to watch logic happen in Charlie's brain. It's, it's pretty brilliant for a three-year-old. Was it okay? Yeah. Are you glad to have your feedback? Yeah. But I'll bring this feed and this cup back. Chicago and then and then when they see it they will be surprised because because they they will remember that bead. Yeah. Bead. Do you think Papa and Nana will want it back? No no B because it has been <laughs> so I don't think they they want that that bead anymore. Yeah, you're probably right. But we'll keep it as a special memory. Just you can just see the wheel spinning, can't you? This is like right there. It's like, uh, no, no, they don't want it because it's bent in my nose for a long time. Here's what I want to do with God. I, 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 this whole thought, maybe it's been in your nose for a long time. Let's look logically at the rise of atheism, like you saw Charlie processing it, and let me help you to process what this thing looks like over here. Okay, you're you're taking a step away. I promise you, there's not an in between place. You're taking a step away. Five logical conclusions about atheism. Number one, everything is just biology. Christopher Hitchens is one of the new atheists, and he was dying of cancer, and he wrote a book called Mortality. It was basically the journal of a dying atheist, and he said, the doctors kept coming to me and saying, Christopher, your body is trying, your body is fighting, your body, your body, and he said, I finally had to say to them, guys, it's not that I have a body, I am a body. In other words, that's all I am. Everything is biology. I'm, I'm a body. The mind, the soul, that's all an illusion. If, 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 you're, if you're an atheist, you have to believe that because nothing else makes any sense if there is no God. Secondly, everything is predetermined. The laws of nature predetermine everything. There is no free will. It's called determinism. Here's what Stephen Hawking said. He said, everything about the human experience is determined. Because it is determined, it doesn't matter. You don't have freedom of choice. Everything is predetermined because of biology, because of chemistry, if God is out of the picture. The third one is probably even more important. Nothing has value. 
I mean, how can you apply value? You're just biology, and you can't apply value to somebody else. So in a world where physics and chemistry and biology rule, the moment we try to reach outside of our biology and hold some other biology accountable to something called universal law, universal justice, it's really just made up. It's not uncommon for people to come to me and go, hey, I got my truth, you got your truth, right? I'll leave your truth alone, you leave my truth alone. That's fine until you decide that your truth is that some groups of people are more deserving of something than some other groups of people. It's fine until your truth or my truth is that everyone is just a biological being, and if I feel like hurting someone that is a weaker biological being, that's just my biology. Do you see what I'm saying? There's no, there's no foundation for that in atheism. Nothing has value because it's all biology, and it's all been predetermined. For you know, life emerged from non-life. That has to happen, and, 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 and nobody, including Darwin, could figure out how that happened. Francis Collins, one of the smartest guys in the universe, he was one of the co-mappers of DNA, okay? One of the co-mappers, one of the few guys that worked on the DNA project. He said the more he, he studied God, the more, the more he studied DNA, the more he believed in God. He said, I, I don't see, and this is a quote, how we can go from lifeless matter to the digital elegance of DNA, and of course, the last one you know, it's, it's natural selection, right? It just, it, just, it just evolved along the way. Now, you can, you, can, you can believe any sorts of sets of that, but that's where you're headed as soon as you walk away from God. And the problem is, as soon as I went through those things, you, if you are having doubts about God, if, you are th- if, you, if you're thinking, oh, I'm, not, I'm not sure what I, where I'm at with this religion thing, you're probably going, I don't believe any of that. I, I don't believe any of that. I know. You see what I'm saying? The reason that you have lost your faith is way more personal than this. I don't think atheism has become more appealing to a whole bunch of people. I think that what people understood as theism has become way less attractive to people. And if you give us a chance, if you come back next week, we're going to do our best to convince you that the God that you quit believing in never existed in the first place. And this is my assumption with this thing. If you have given up on the faith, then the problem is not you. If your kids have, the problem is not them. It's not your unbelieving friends. It's mine. It's our fault. It's the big C church's fault. Do you know why I know this? Because whenever I read the account of Jesus and his interaction with people, there's something that I can't miss. Andy Stanley said it well. People who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. (laughs) Huge crowds followed him everywhere that he went. You're like, well, yeah, he handed out free food and he healed people. I know, I know. That's a good way to get a crowd, but think that through. He healed people. He multiplied food. I mean, yeah, this is pretty important, but, but let me say what you're also saying. But wait a minute, PT. These people turned on Jesus. They had him killed. Yeah. And do you realize why? This has been a huge thought for me as I've been working on this project. A huge thought. Do you know why they turned on him? It was the church's fault then too. It was religious issues based on a human interpretation of God. The church turned them on Jesus. Well, they were Jews. How does this apply? Jesus was a Jew. 
Judaism was God's idea. The synagogue was the church. These were mostly religious people yelling, crucify him, crucify him, who had been swayed. They had been Galileoed by their church leaders to believe in something that wasn't true. And, and many, many, many of these Jews that were yelling, crucify him, and, and were mad at him on that, on that Good Friday, many of them came back to him. Many of them rejected the religious issues based on human interpretation of God and became Christ followers after he rose again. Historians tell us within a few decades, Jerusalem was half full. It was like half of Jerusalem was following Jesus, and it spread like crazy. Why? Because Christianity was never about religion. It was always about Jesus. Yes, it became about Jesus again. Yes, it became about Jesus again for a little while. And then it turned back to religion, right? And it got messed up again. Thank you for the reminder. Because people are human and they mess everything up. And I'm probably messing it up too. What I'm saying is, if you have found it easy to leave God... I'm almost certain it's because someone has been badly interpreting him for you. I don't think I've ever heard a story of someone coming to me saying, hey, you know what, the reason I deconverted from Christianity is about Jesus. I don't think I've ever heard any of them, any story that had anything to do with Jesus whatsoever. Usually they're explaining a God concept to me, a bad interpretation of a God concept to me, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, I don't believe in that God either. Who told you this stuff? So please just come back. Open your heart a little to the possibility that God could still be there. The Bible says God rewrote the text of my life when I opened the book of my heart to his eyes. That's what we're hoping is going to happen for you. And if you have friends, loved ones that, that you think might benefit from them, please help them to know that we're not attacking them. This is real. We just want to defend it. We just want, we, we just, we just want to help them to understand that maybe the God that they thought they were worshiping or the God that they thought they were rejecting is not the real God that can show them real love. Maybe they could find a place where there is real love. So uh, we're going to do communion, and I just want you to understand why we do what we do, okay? Um, I, uh, I, I know you don't have to believe this, but my belief is that um, you can't abstain from this vote. Uh, this is why I do what I do. You can't abstain. You have to cast a vote. You have to check a box, okay? And to check a box of none is still a decision. This is why we do what we do. I was with my grandson recently, and he has a Bible study book that he uses that they, that they go through with Charlie, read these fun little Bible stories. And, uh, and my daughter said, Charlie, you want Papa to read you his favorite Bible story? And I, I thought for two seconds, and I thought, oh, yeah, she knows what it is. And it was a story of the prodigal son. And it was, a beautiful, it was a beautiful kid's Bible writing of the story of the prodigal son. Dad lets the son leave. Son leaves. He goes away. He's worried that his dad is going to be mad because he left and he squandered all his dad's money. And he's afraid to come home. But he finally comes home. And he does. And the father welcomes him home. And I read that story to Charlie. And, and I, I, I was just... He just turned to me in his little three-year-old innocence, and he said, Papa, why is that your favorite story? I said, well, 
Charlie, I think it's because God is the Father in this story, and I think God wants me to help people understand that he isn't mad at them, and he just loves them, and he wants for them to come home. We're going to have communion right now. We're going to pass the trays. There's uh, two cups, one inside of the other one. Um, Just take them both out and hold them for a moment, and we'll do communion all together in unison. You don't have to be from Parkview if you're a believer I want to welcome you to do this. And I want to tell you, maybe you're toying with walking that line somewhere right now, but in your heart you think there's a place open for you and Jesus. Do this with us. See what happens when you realize that the God of the universe loves you and is not mad at you and he loves you so much that he sent his only son to die on a cross for you so that whoever believes in him would not perish but be saved. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray that you'll be with us as we wrestle through this subject. I pray that you'll help us as we try to figure out what it looks like to to help the people around us that are wrestling with these issues. Help us as a church to own it. Because for the most part, it has been religion that has been the issue. Help us to quit arguing and quit yelling and quit condemning and start loving like you did. It's in your name that we pray.